Uh, we are back to uh, the book of First Samuel, and uh, this morning we are going to um, see First Samuel chapter five. First Samuel chapter five. Uh, this is in pages two hundred twenty-eight and two hundred twenty-nine in your pew Bibles if you are using a pew Bible. Uh, just uh, want to uh, mention certain things here. Remember that in the context. Uh, God has appeared in judgment against uh, his own house, the wicked priests that we learn about in chapter 4. And now in chapter 5, we are going to uh, hear about what God is going to do about the Philistines. Yet, if you have been uh, listening to the recordings of the Bible study of Revelation, or if you have been coming to the Revelation study, uh, you will realize how many connections there is between what is happening in uh, Samuel with the Philistines and what the book of Revelation is speaking about God's judgments upon the unbelievers and how they reject uh, repentance. Well, uh, there is something similar here going on. In that sense, the Bible looks, back, looks forward excuse me, to judgment in, uh, in the final judgment with Jesus Christ. But it also looks back uh, to Egypt. Uh, the Philistines themselves, if you remember in chapter 4, said, these are, these are the gods who destroyed the, the Egyptians. Well, we are going to see what is going to happen with them, uh, the Philistines, this morning. So with that in mind, then, uh, please stand in order to hear uh, the reading of God's holy and inspired word. This is God's word. When the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon, our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the, Lord, of the God of Israel? They answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to God. To Gath, excuse me. So they brought the ark of the, of the God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city causing a very great panic, and he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the Ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the Ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought around to, to us the Ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. They sent, therefore, and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the Ark of the God of Israel. And let it return to its own place, that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors. And the cry of the city went up to heaven. 
does further reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, um, there is a book that I have seen several times. I think it has been published in the last seven years or so. And it's entitled None Like Him. And it's written by the Baptist professor Matthew Barrett. And, and what I like about this book is actually the cover. Uh, because the, the cover has the image of this roaring lion. And you can clearly see his menacing teeth uh, shining at you, so to speak. Now, I, 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 lo- I like the cover because it's explicitly making a point that we uh, Western and modern Christians tend to forget. And that is that God is dangerous. Uh, his characteristics, who he is, and make God a very dangerous God. Have you thought on that? And we should not want to play with this God, nor should we think that we can take God lightly. And, and we are going to see uh, some of those things here in this biblical illustration of that idea. Israel lies defeated. The armies of the enemy have conquered. And what is worst, the ark of God has been taken captive by the enemies of God's people. Here's the question, though. Is that truly the case? Is, is God uh, trapped with the Philistines? Or... Are they trapped with God? So the theme of this morning is how the Lord fights the Philistines. And we will see it in three parts. First, judgment over Dagon. Second, judgment over the Philistines. And third, victory over Philistine territory. So first, judgment over Dagon. Second, judgment over the Philistines. And finally, a victory over Philistine territory. So let's see the first part, uh, judgment over Dagon. Now, as you may remember, congregation, and as I said last time that we were in the book of Samuel, we saw how God brings, or, or brought, so, um, rather, judgment first to his own house, his own corrupted priests. But lest we think that God is unfair, the sacred author now moves us to see what God is going to do with God's enemies. So look at verses 1 and 2. When the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. Now, as you are able to hear, we have in these verses a description of victory. At least in the thoughtless minds of the Philistines. They feel confident about themselves and confident about Dagon, their God. And and what they do is very interesting as well. Not only they think they have dominion over Israel, but also over the God of Israel. This is why, as a demonstration of superiority of of Dagon, and as an offering to the conquering God, Dagon, they have placed the Ark of God besides the statue of Dagon. This is, in other words, an insult to God, an insult to the Lord or God. It's, It's public humiliation of who he is. But before we see what will happen next, I want you to consider and to understand what the scriptures are revealing to us this morning. Because what was happening in chapter 4 and 5 is explicitly open to us in these verses. It wasn't simply a battle between Israel and the Philistines. It was actually a spiritual battle between the true God and a false God. 
The Israelites and the Philistines were simply an embodiment of that spiritual reality. And this is a very good remedy, I believe, for our minds, congregation. Our materialistic minds, even in the church, forget many times that there is such a thing as a spiritual world around us. We tend to forget that the attacks against the church, that the modern revolutions and ideas actually have their root in the spiritual world. And yes, congregation, even to this day, we need to understand that there is a spiritual battle around us. The only difference is that those false pretend gods have changed their names for new ones. That's it. And every single human being falls in one of two camps. They follow the devil and their lies and their idols, or they belong to Jesus Christ. There is no middle ground in this battle. And what we are about to see then is how the Lord starts, executes judgment first over this spiritual reality. So look at verse 3. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face down, downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. So here's, here's the thing. The Philistines seem to have gone happy to their beds that night. Everything was going well. They are conquering. Dagon is God. Everything is okay. Until the next morning, when they find that suddenly everything has changed. The symbolism is very clear. Contrary to the Philistines' ideas, Dagon is not the conqueror. Actually, the Lord our God is the conqueror. And as a proof of that, the idol of Dagon lies prostrated before the Ark of the Lord. And here's, here's the funny thing in the text. I don't know if you caught that, but Dagon, he cannot get back to his throne by himself. He needs help of his worshipers. I am sure you can already find and hear the implication of this verse. What kind of God Dagon is? A God who needs help of those who worship him. Isn't that lame? Yes, it is. That is the absurd nature of idols, congregation. They cannot help themselves and they cannot help you. In that sense, our culture is very, very similar to the Philistine culture of those days. Our society trusts in things and, 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 and in other uh, idols that are useless and powerless. I, I heard the lady the other day saying, I am manifesting prosperity and good thoughts and good vibes for the new year. And I thought, that sounds cool, even spiritual, but it's just an illusion. How powerful she is. She can do nothing, she can change nothing. That's how powerful her idols are. They can do nothing, they can change nothing. Now look at verse 4. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. Uh, maybe, and, and this is just my speculation, but maybe one of those enlightened Philistines tried to explain what had happened to Dagon last time with an accident, trying to rationalize the event. Oh, just the statue just fell. That's it. Don't worry. We will make sure that that doesn't happen anymore. 
The question is, how is he going to explain what has happened now? In an even more visible way, Dagon lies defeated. He has no cognitive powers, no head, and no way to defend himself, no hands. This is a symbolism of Dagon's total and definite defeat. What is interesting about this whole portion is the play that runs behind the scene, behind what is uh, the text telling us. The Philistines, they think they are powerful, and their God is powerful, they think. In fact, they see the God of Israel in defeat. Yet to their surprise, twice now in the text, they have seen their own God defeated. Two things I want you to notice here. First, the descriptions of the Philistines fit very, very well with the descriptions of unbelievers today. Because magical thinking, manifesting positive thoughts and vibes, modern idols, all of those things fail very often. Yet we, as a society, believe in those. And those who trust in those things see their failures in the same manner that the Philistines have seen Dagon failing, failing them. In fact, verse 5 shows how blind they are. Instead of abandoning their God and, and religion, instead of coming to the Lord, realizing that He is the true God, they have modified their cult, which is very proverbial of our unbelieving generation as well. Isn't the shibboleth of our generation and of our era that we just need to trust science? And people even tell us today, just give us enough time and we will solve, science will solve the puzzle. The second thing I want you to see is how the text highlights the sufficiency of the Lord our God. He does not need Israel to fight his battles. Did you see that? He can fight by himself. Have you realized of that? Because this is the kind of God that we need, congregation of the Lord. One that is self-sufficient. One that judges the wisdom of the world with and through things that we will deem unwise or foolishness. In apparent defeat, God defeats Dagon. And isn't that true of the Lord Jesus Christ? In apparent defeat, naked, despised by the nations, hanging on the cross, Jesus obtained the biggest victory. He conquered death, sin, and the devil. You, you see, in Jesus, the defeat of Dagon, that is Satan, is definite, permanent, complete. And only, only in Jesus we find victory. And only because he has conquered. Now let us turn to our second point, judgment over the Philistines. Pay attention to verse 6. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted, and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. You see, God's judgment doesn't stop with Dagon. Remember, it was the Philistines that have insulted the Lord. And besides, the Lord is not going to ignore the oppression that the Philistines have been having against the Israelites, his people. It's time, in other words, to, uh, for the Lord to visit the Philistines in judgment. And what we hear from the text is that the Lord's presence was very heavy among them. Heavy, if you remember, it's been several weeks, but heavy, if you remember, is the same word in Hebrew for glory. So his glory here is manifested in judgment 
against the people of Ashdod. And, and this is what happens when God's enemies behold, experience God's glory. You ready for it? They are consumed by it. They are consumed by it. His glory is manifested in judgment over the wicked, over those who do not fear him. And that congregation, that should bring some sobriety to the way we think about God. Because it seems to me that we use the, the word glory today to refer to kind of like an experience, uh, tickles when we sing, or a moment of strong emotions with the right song and the lights off. Obviously, that is not what is going on here. God's glory was manifested in judgment. How different is that from our modern ideas about him, isn't it? And this is interesting. Listen to the Philistines talk in verse 7. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, see, they realize. They said, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon, our God. First, uh, they recognize that this whole ordeal is not a random occurrence. It's actually the work of the Lord. But second, not as an important feature of the text, there is no repentance. There is no repentance. There is recognition that God is controlling this whole thing, that he's sending the plague, that, that God is stronger than this poor little Dagon that they had in the temple. But there is not a word about them repenting before the Lord, about them coming to him. And our society congregation seems to have turned to the worst or for the worst, even the worst than the Philistines and even some Christians have followed them. For ages, it's been our instinct to go to the Lord seeking his favor in, fa in the face of calamities. Even unbelievers knew that, even though they didn't repent. And even our Reformed and Presbyterian forefathers crafted some prayers for times of national calamities, for times of plagues and things like that. But today, today we see calamities and we go, that's normal. We are too enlightened, enlightened with science, too, concerns, too concerned with our freedoms in order to attribute anything to God. Me, repenting before God? Why should I? And because of that, congregation, because of that, a worst judgment that the one that we are seeing to the Philistines is prepared for this generation because of unbelief. Listen now, verse 8. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of, the, of Israel here. Now, isn't this situation interesting? There is a great gathering of the, Philistines leader, of the Philistine leaders. And what they decide is really comical. They decide to deliver Ashdod from the punishment and from suffering by putting another city of the Philistines, Gath, under the same pain and under the same suffering. Notice a very important feature of pagan religion, boys and girls. There is no compassion. There is no concern for the neighbor in pagan religions. As long as Ashdod is free from suffering, they don't care what may happen to their neighbors, the people from Gath. And you will be able to see that even today. Those who reject the Lord 
are concerned for one thing and one thing only, themselves and no one else. They will say they care for people. They will say they want the well-being of others. But when their own interests are in play are in, and in danger, quickly, they just react like the Philistines. They will jump to defend themselves, their interests, and nothing else. That's how it is. And their proposed solution is really idiotic. Uh, it doesn't make sense. But of course, sin is irrational. Sin doesn't make sense. It will actually be better for the Philistines to repent. Wouldn't that be easy? Repent. Just come to the Lord. But they don't want to do that. For one, uh, their heart is hardened. And for a hardened heart, anything, anything is better than showing repentance, including suffering under God's condemnation. Look at verses 9 to 10. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a, a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, they have brought around to us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. So as soon as the ark arrives to Gath, the whole city finds uh, the experience of punishment and tumors and the plague. This time, the Philistines are touched from the youngest to the oldest. That is, there is no one who is free from the plague. And again, the solution in place is to move the ark to another city. They are jumping from place to place. And the Ekronites already know what is waiting them. Their cry is one of desperation. They don't want the ark of God to come to them because they know they will be judged as well. I want you to notice the change that has taken place in the narrative congregation. We began the narrative with happy, joyful, dancing, a feasting, conquering Philistines who trusted, who thought uh, the, they had conquered over the Lord and they treated the Lord with contempt. Now, we are seeing how every single one of the Philistines is afraid of the ark because judgment of God has fallen upon them. At first, it was a privilege to have the ark of God among them in the city of Ashdod, in the temple of Dagon. But now, the very presence, the very mention of the ark makes them tremble for fear because judgment has come over the Philistines. Now, I want you to go with me to verse 11 where we see victory over the Philistines. And this is our third point. Look at verse 11. They sent, therefore, and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city and the hand of God was very heavy there. You see, a second time, the comical scene is depicted for us. All the leaders of the Philistines, these important people, are called to this very important meeting. This time, however, there is a big difference. We are no longer seeing a nation that is still in their power and strength. Rather, we find the leaders of the Philistines and their people debilitated, wasted away due to the plagues that the Lord has sent over them. The work of the Lord in judgment congregation like any of his workings and doings, really, is complete and satisfactory, always. Through a series of judgments, the Lord has brought 
oppressors of his people to their knees. And, and this is an idea that you need to draw comfort from. You see, the Lord our God, he fights for his people. He fights for his people. He protects us. He, he subdues his and our enemies, as the Shorter Catechism says. And just think about how this has happened. If we were Israelites, if we were among Israel at that time, we will have no clue that God is doing this. In fact, we will be thinking, pondering, wondering if God is doing something at all. Because everything around us is speaking about defeat. No priest, no ark, and defeat in battle. Has God abandoned us? But you see, that is our problem. We are finite. Our foresight is short. We cannot see everything. And how many times we find ourselves in dark situations and think the Lord, our God, is doing nothing about it. But you see, the truth is that God is always working. God is always working. He's always working his purposes out. And, and, and we need to remember that even when we don't see him working or judging evil. Our experience may tell you that God is not doing anything. But don't believe your experience. Believe God and believe his promises. And, and here's a great comfort for you, brothers and sisters. Because we belong to Jesus Christ, because we are in him, you can be assured that the Lord our God is always working in favor of his people. That the Lord our God is always for us, for you and I, in Jesus Christ, and never against us. That means that there is always something good coming out of a dark situation, a bad situation. Not because of your positive vibes and good attitude and you are cheering up. No, but because God uses evil and bad situations in order to perfect our lives, in order to make us more like Jesus Christ. We are being shaped, molded after the image of his son. Now going back to the text, the solution of the Philistines is to return the ark of God. Finally, it was about time. It has taken many, many deaths though. The once prosperous and powerful nation has experienced what it is to play with the true and living God of Israel and face his glory in judgment. And out of this battle, they have come debilitated, just like the Egyptians in the Exodus. The Philistines now know that the Lord, of God, the, the Lord our God has no equal. And that is one of the reasons why God has visited them in judgment. Even here, congregation, the Lord our God leaves himself, uh, never leaves himself without a witness among the pagans. His glory shines through, their, through them, even in those acts of judgment. And he makes the nations aware of his uniqueness. But, but what is perhaps consternating is what we read finally in verse 12. The men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. You see, the consternation comes not out of the fact that judgment and condemnation continue in the Philistines, but out of the fact that we see them crying and lamenting, but not to the Lord. In the end, this text points us to two realities. First, it points us to the reality that a final judgment is coming, is still to come. A final day in which this judgment that we see here in the text is just a shadow. 
On that day, the Lord Jesus will appear, sitting in glory, in his throne, in majesty and glory, and every human being will be present before him. The biggest enemies of the church will be condemned on that day. We will see the devil, death, sin, the wicked ones being condemned and facing eternal, uh, final justice in eternal punishment. And that, that will be a manifestation of his glory in eternal, final justice. But second, this text also reminds us that in his mercies congregation, he sent Jesus Christ to bear the punishment that we, you and I, deserved. He was smitten and afflicted for us so we may be healed. And now, because of Jesus, we have been moved from enemies of God to God's people. That is the mystery of God's work of redemption congregation, that he has decided from eternity past to save undeserved, rebellious sinners like us in order that we may partake of his blessedness and of his life in eternity. And since that is the case, since we are not seeing judgment like the Philistines, then what is left to us but to live pleasing lives to him, to live for his glory? May the Lord help us to do so for the rest of our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we uh, have been spared final judgment, that in Jesus Christ, he has taken judgment upon himself in our place. And that because of that, we don't have to suffer what the Philistines suffered. And even that what we suffer today is not a judgment of condemnation, but actually purification towards glory, being shaped after the image of Jesus Christ. So Father, as we walk in this world, we pray that you may help us to cling to you, to trust in you, and to walk with the reality in our minds that we belong to you, whatever is happening around us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.